This week's guest is 20-time Paralympic medalist Tatiana McFadden. I had the opportunity to record Tatiana the day before she won her 24th marathon major at Chicago. She then turned around, got on a plane, and competed the Boston Marathon, where she was on the podium yet again in second. In our pre-race conversation, we talked about all things Paralympics, her role as a producer and star in the Netflix documentary Rising Phoenix, as well as her advocacy work changing the way the world thinks about disability, diversity, and human potential. I've wanted to talk to Tatiana for a long time, so it was such a pleasure to have this conversation, and she's just so incredibly inspirational, and I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, welcome Tatiana to the More Than Running with Dana podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you've been on a whirlwind journey. You are doing all six of the marathon majors, but that's not an accomplishment of itself. You are literally coming off an entire year of racing. How are the energy levels? It's It's been quite a ride since Tokyo and then doing all the major marathons. But I've been, it's been such a blessing to get back to racing and coming off such a good Paralympic Games coming home with a gold, silver, and bronze. And then I decided to tack on, tackle on all the major marathons. I'm calling it the World Major Marathons World Tour. <laughs> I started in Berlin, and then I went to London, and now I'm here in Chicago, and then I'll turn around and do Boston, and then finish up with New York. So I am so excited, and it's been really quite a good year. But once I'm done in November, I'll have a little nice break. Yeah. Do you have a vacation planned? What does kind of the off season look like for you? Yeah, the off season, I'm looking forward to it. We take a family vacation in December and uh, it'll be light training, nothing strenuous. Um, So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, And yeah, but it's been, it's been really good so far. You always bring such a sense of joy to wherever you're competing and interacting with the people around you. How did you stay positive during the pandemic, especially when there weren't races on the calendar? Are you more motivated by the training or the competitions? I am an athlete that is more motivated on competitions. I feel that. Um, yeah, and I thrive on competitions because I learn a lot from it. I learn about, you know, what do I need to change in training or my diet or my um, equipment with our racing chair and so last year when we didn't have any competitions and a lot of uncertainty and learning a lot about COVID it was really hard it was hard mentally um, and to stay motivated as well was challenging not so much in the beginning but when everything got postponed to the following year um, that was really really challenging Um, but I just you know what I the only things I could do and in control was take everything day by day so I've learned a lot about that and um, keep a routine Mm -hmm. so and to celebrate you know have something that's fun once a week you know whether if it's a home spa day or binge Netflix all day (laughs) Um, but it was it was really challenging because I know my schedule about a year in advance of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So to have all that taken away and to, you know, to keep my family safe and I didn't get to see my family uh, that year, um, it was, I only got to see them just once. So oh that was God. really hard. Um, but yeah, we made it through mm-hmm. and I learned a lot and I think it's made me a stronger person and really appreciate every single race that I'm doing. Um, and I will never take racing for granted or how busy I am for granted ever. So it's a good busy. Yeah, it's a good busy. 
So I want to talk about the Paralympics and your experience there. I think there was, it almost felt like from an athlete perspective, there were a lot of people that didn't want this to happen from a COVID perspective, but then there was so much celebration and joy at the games that kind of overcame that. How was your racing experience? Obviously you performed exceptionally well and got back to your roots on the track. Um, what was kind of that, the feeling of being there in Tokyo? It was hard. It was challenging because um, for I didn't have a lot of races. You know, there wasn't a lot of um, um, Paralympic, you know, track meets, and so that Paralympic Games was my third track meet. Wow! And so and I that's had, your bread and butter. And track. that's my bread and butter was track. And so we had trials. We had the Switzerland track meet, and then we had the Paralympics. And so I was quite nervous and um you know but there was other challenges along the way as well like not having our family there not having a crowd there um and so that in other you know procedures um that we had to you know remember Mm -hmm. with covid testing to keep everyone safe and um but overall it was a really amazing games and we found out how to live in the new norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we got that routine down, it was easy. Um, and the volunteers couldn't have been more wonderful. I mean, they were so sweet and they did everything to keep everything so safe. And every single medal was a celebration, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt like everyone who made Team USA should have deserved a gold medal because it was hard and it was challenging. Um, and all the little steps that we had to take along the way. Um, but I, I mean, I love Tokyo. (laughs) I love traveling there. I love the food. I love the culture. Um, and so it was good to be there and it was really good to have those games. Um, and it really set up everything nice for the future, I think as well. So that was your 20th medal. while you were in Tokyo. Do you feel, cause you've been competing at the Paralympics since you were about in your teens. Did you feel like you had a kind of a mentor hat on for the younger athletes showing them, you know, through that experience, if it was their first time, did you have any of those experiences with the newer athletes? Yeah, I think, you know, it was in Tokyo, it was such a unique games for, for the first comers. And so I felt like I was, you know, um, a mentor for the athletes who was their first time. Um, a lot of my roommates, it was their first Paralympic games and it was a lot of fun. And we went to training camp before then in Yukota. And I just, you know, we just talked about, you know, everything that will happen and what you might feel and that it's completely normal to feel really nervous. And, um, I think it's really good to be a mentor because I was there once I was that 15 year old and I didn't know what was happening and, um, you know, what the procedures were and how the call room was like and how it was getting onto the, you know, the stadium. And so, um, I think it's really important to do that for your teammates. And, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, loved meeting the new teammates on the team. I think our future looks really good and really bright for our sport. Um, We have a lot of strong athletes and a lot of strong female athletes coming up, which is good. Well, we are in the Chicago (laughs) marathon setting. So I do want to flip gears a little bit to what you're doing this fall. And that's doing all six marathon majors, Mm -hmm. including you just came from London, you did Berlin, you're doing Chicago, and then somehow getting on a flight and making your way to Boston. (laughs) Yeah. How did this idea of doing all six come up? I know Shalane Flanagan is doing it as well. Did you guys communicate? Do you know what's happening? It seems very fatiguing. And Mm -hmm. before we got on this 
live, you were speaking about the time change and things like that. How do you plan this logistically? Yeah, I call this the 2021 World Tour of Major Marathons. So I did the Europe World Tour with Berlin and London. I was really proud of uh, the Berlin race. It went really well. Um, And uh, London's went well as well. And my goal is to podium in all of them. And how the idea came about was, you know, after the, I wanted to see how the Paralympics went, how I felt after the Paralympics. And, um, I talked to my coach and he says, yeah, take it all on. And I wanted to do that as well, because it's the first time in history that will ever be like this Mm -hmm. due to COVID. And so I thought, well, this is a challenge and I'm up for the challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, so right now I'm on the American three, part two series, <laughs> starting in Chicago, then getting on a plane to do Boston. I think that will be the real I think there's going to be a lot testament. of athletes on that plane doing both. Yeah, there will be a lot of us. And so a lot of, a lot of tired athletes going over to, to Boston. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge. And I'm the only um, female elite athlete doing all of the five wow. uh, series competitively. So I am uh, looking forward to that challenge and making history there. Yeah. Um, Are you podium. replacing Tokyo in some way? I don't think so. I think I'll be focusing on um, getting ready for New York City, the last, the last one, um, and keeping and just redoing my training for that one. Well, it's definitely a true competitive mindset. <laughs> I think anyone who speaks to you can tell that you're a competitor. Is there anything you feel like you haven't accomplished in this sport? And how do you kind of create new goals when you've been so successful on the roads? This is your 12th, I believe it's your 12th Chicago experience. So how do you kind of think about new goals for yourself when you've been so successful? I love setting new goals. I want to make Chicago my 25th major marathon win. I want to make, I want to get that golden ticket Ooh. and make it 25. Shoot your shot. You Shoot, said I'm it. Shooting my shot. So you heard it here first. <laughs> Probably not first, but you heard it. <laughs> I'm shooting my shot, and uh, I'm hoping to get to 30. I wanted to get to that number and be the most um, decorated major marathon uh, winner. And uh, I love setting those expectations because it gives me something to train for. Um, and I know the competition is tough, so it gives me something to chase um, and to work towards. And uh, I love challenges and just want to see where it takes me and how my body holds up. And uh, it's it's fun. I mm-hmm. really enjoy it, and uh, I think that's the part that is the most important is that I'm having fun yeah. while I'm doing all this craziness. So that R word isn't trickling through your brain at any time. <laughs> retirement, like- no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. I have a, you know, I want to do at least two more Paralympics. I need to do an L.A. Games. Yeah, that's of course. That's my biggest goal, so um, I want to definitely be be there for that. I know. 96 was too long ago for right? our games in the U.S., <laughs> so we definitely need to see what L.A. is. Have you been involved in any of the L.A. planning as far as, like, knowing what they're doing? I know they're trying to involve a lot of U.S. athletes, so have you seen anything behind the scenes yet? I haven't seen anything behind the scenes, but I've definitely been helping with um, – making everything parallel, you know, with the Olympics and Paralympics and making sure 
that the advertisements are very much equal. Like Tokyo did such a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they did little details with banners of just the Tokyo 2021, and then there was the Olympic and Paralympic logo at the same time. Same with the volunteer shirts. We had the Olympic and Paralympic logos together on the shirts. So, you know, want to make sure that we um, continue that promotion on the Paralympic side and, uh, you know, make sure that the games for the Paralympics continues to, to rise and that we don't have that the, the dip in promotions. Um, it's important for the future athletes. Um, if we want to be very, if we want to be a very strong presence, then we need to make sure that we are supporting um, young athletes, you know, about athletes that are, you know, 10, 10, 11, 12 mm-hmm. years old, um, especially on the Paralympics and uh, helping them, you know, get involved with para sports clubs and getting proper equipment and uh so that's my goal is when we're talking about la and making sure that job is being being done well this is the more than running podcast and i think that when th- people think about you it's a lot more than the competition and it's a lot more mm-hmm. i think you know advocate is that a word you use to describe yourself absolutely i'm definitely an advocate for my for the sport for uh, wheelchair racing, and I think an advocate for people with disabilities. Sports is such a great way to parallel, mm-hmm. um, and I th- feel like if we could parallel um, in in sports with you know with Paralympics and with marathons and with wheelchair racing, we can also help parallel um, disability in communities because a lot of our idols come from sports figures. And so we can really give back into our own communities and making sure that people with disabilities have that chance to get an education, have that chance to hold a job. Um, Because, you know, a lot of athletes who are competing in the Paralympics, you know, when they go home and try to get a job, they can't. Mm. Right. And that's that's not only a U.S. issue, it's a global issue. So that's the importance part. Um, And. So I feel like if we can make that change in sport, we can make that change in the community. And it's an important responsibility, um, especially if you're a current athlete, uh, to give back to the sport because previous athletes that were once my competitors but they retired, they did the same thing. You know, they've pushed the sport along the way. You know, for marathons, the reason why wheelchair racing exists in marathons because of Bob Hall mm-hmm. in the Boston Marathon. He did the marathon. They said if you can do it under three hours, wheelchair racing is in. Three hours. Yeah. And the the racing chairs back then where they didn't have any brakes. Oh, I was gonna say he, he must he must have blown that away. But the, the technology <laughs> was, wasn't the where technology it was. was it was almost like a day chair like this that he raced and it was absolutely insane. Um, and then other Paralympic athletes, I mean, we used to not get into the village, you know, we used to have to sleep in hotels and then find cabs to get to the venues. So those athletes pushed equality for that. So it's really important to continue those steps. And, um, the Tokyo games were important for us because it was the first time that the summer athletes had equal pay to the Olympians. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, that was huge. Um, I've been waiting, you know, 16 years in my career wow. for that. So it goes to show how much I love, love this sport. Um, and that, you know, where Paralympics athletes are not 
really so much in it for the money, but they're in it for the sport genuinely. Um, so I, yeah, I see myself as an advocate for sure to answer your question. <laughs> no, I, and that's a loaded question because of course I know you are. One of our previous guests on the podcast was Marla Runyon oh. and Marla speaks. She's great. Yeah. Phenomenal. And really kind of doing the same type of work within the mm-hmm. major marathon space, making sure there's equality and equity there as well. I did yeah. want to ask you, though, about um, We the 15, if you could yeah. speak to that. I know that's something that you've been sharing on your social media, and I think that a lot of people would love to know more. Yeah, so We the 15 um, is a global campaign, and it talks about 15, um, one, 15% of the population has a disability. That is what it's accounted for. There are so many that are not accounted for. And so that's 1.5 billion people in this world have a, a disability. Some billion are visible. with a B. Yeah, billion with a B. Mm-hmm. So some are visible and some are not. And so that campaign is so important to talk about equality, just as basic human rights, you know, having access to education, have access to, you know, housing, having access to, um, you know, being able to travel, having access to, you know, wheelchairs, the right to marriage, the right to have children, um, you know, the right to hold a job. And I mean, it just goes on Mm -hmm. just breaking the stereotypes of how people with disabilities live and, um, really breaking that taboo because, Oftentimes that when people see someone with a disability, especially when it's invisible, mm-hmm. we automatically think, oh, what can't that person do? So I think the We the 15 campaign did such a great job smashing those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's a global initiative. Yeah, as well. it is. It's a global initiative. And it's really important that we uh, are tackling that together. And um it was really cool. The Empire State Building was lit up purple. So oh my gosh. it was great that, you know, we showed our support on the U.S. side for that as well. Um, you know, I feel like if we can make equality, people with disabilities are part of every subculture mm-hmm. and culture. And it's oftentimes left out, you know, and or not tokenized talked about. in a way. Exactly. Or just feeling, checking a box. You know, I think that's something that I've noticed, especially in social media as mm-hmm. It was so bad in so many categories on, you know, being diverse in media. And then it just becomes a tokenism, of, you know, checking a box. And mm-hmm. it was great to hear that you were so involved with like the advertisements and that you really liked what Tokyo did from that perspective. Yep. Yep. Tokyo, it's yeah, they did more than just checking a box and tweeting it and putting on social media. They actually made the initiative <laughs> and uh, and made that change um, physically happen, which is important because, you know, right now we're running into that fine line of, OK, if I tweet about it, if I put it on Instagram, you know, OK, I did my part. We're making that change. But it's much. More yeah, than, it's much more than that. <laughs> You're like, OK, uh, you got to do the work. Yeah, here. yeah, we need to like physically see that change. Um, and once we make that change for people with disabilities, it will make that change for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what that's what I believe. Um, and so it's it's just amazing to see that um, campaign happening and the rise of the Paralympics. I think it's, we're seeing a really good future for, um, for people with disabilities. Has there ever been an instance where the Paralympics have gone in the two weeks prior to the Olympics? 
Uh, no, it's always been two weeks after. That's what I was thinking. I was like, why isn't it first? Mm-hmm. I would love to see it first because I think... Yeah, it'd be kind of cool if it was like, you know, if it took turns every cycle or, or something. Or truly being parallel at the same time. I know that there's restrictions with the athlete village size and things like that, but... I just think competition, it's competition. It should all be together. That would be cool. That would be cool. We need to start with trials. Okay. We need to start with trials. So I would love to see track and field step up where we can mm-hmm. uh, have trials in Oregon and use that beautiful stadium. Yeah. And uh, because for Paralympic athletes, we take two days. We can take two days to, to do that meet. There's definitely enough time. So there's to do definitely it. enough time, even maybe three, but there's definitely enough time to. Um, add us into that schedule and that will be really cool i think if we could make that happen in trials Mm -hmm. um then uh that would be i mean that's what i'm fighting for for the future um i think it's very much possible i think a lot of um sponsors would be very much in a support of that um so i would really that would be my my biggest goal um and then i feel like we've we've almost made it at that point. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Team Canada has that. So I would like to follow into their for footsteps. It's pretty surprising and, that it isn't already like that. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And now for a brief break from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training, and health with personalized recommendations and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthier with Whoop and their all-new 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable in the market. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. It was also designed with their new Anywhere technology, so you can wear with their Whoop body sensor-enhanced technical garments. Personally, I've been using Whoop for the past few weeks at altitude, and it's been incredible tracking how my sleep and heart rate variability adapt at 7,000 feet. When I tried Whoop a few years back, I was in a rigid training program, and I wasn't able to fully implement the insights, especially on those dreaded low recovery days. Now with Whoop, I'm much more aware of how to improve my overall sleep quality, which is leading to more consistent running and better recovery. The all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. Right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code DANA at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter DANA, D-A-N-A, at checkout to save 15%. Let's get back to the show. I would like to talk a little bit about the Rising Phoenix documentary oh, yes. because it was it's on Netflix mm-hmm. and we, we talked about Netflix a little bit earlier. You know, you like to relax and do that. What was it like to see the documentary or let's start. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the Rising Phoenix documentary for the people who haven't seen it yet. So I helped uh, to produce Rising Phoenix. Um, I was one of the producers and it was such an amazing process. And so how this came about was that I you know, really believe that there should have been a film about mm. the history of the Paralympics because we have a good games, we have a bad games, we have a good games and a bad. So the cycle is constantly going up and down. And on the Paralympics. Side. On the Paralympics, you know. And I thought, how can we make it more stable so we can have a climax, you know, of the Paralympics? 
And the film is the only way to do this. People don't want to read a thousand-page history book on the Paralympics. I don't want to read a thousand-page <laughs> history on the Paralympics. People want to see it in a film. And so when I got asked to be one of the producers, I was one, I was honored. I have no history of filmmaking, but what I do have is the advocacy and what I wanted to see in the film. Um, my responsibility was, you know, talking with the directors of how people, how people with disabilities are portrayed, not only in the U.S., but globally, and mm -hmm. my experience with the Paralympics and how I wanted to see this film. You know, I wanted to portray um, people with disabilities in such beauty. Mm -hmm. So in the opening of this scene, if you haven't seen Rising Phoenix, you see, you know, Bebe, the, the Italian fencer, in this stunning gown. And... You know, you see John Baptiste, all of his muscles, and you know, you see everyone in such elegance into their sport, and Ellie in her gold suit, you know, in the pool, and um, it was that was so important. And I even got comments like, "Is that too elegant?" And I'm like, "No," because again, like I said earlier, I feel like when people see someone with a disability, you know, they are, they don't see that, you know, mm -hmm. they automatically see, see, you know, what they can't do. Like a strife and mm -hmm. struggle of the whole thing. Exactly. And so it was a history of the Paralympics and how it originated by Dr. Goodman. And he was a man ahead of his time. He was a, a surgeon. He was a doctor for the wounded warrior, for the wounded warriors, for the veterans. And he thought, you know, how can we, integrate them back into community. So he made the Paralympics in the parallel to the Olympics. So they started with archery and they started with um, wheelchair basketball. And they the archery blows my mind yes, sometimes. I'm yes, yes. Like and track as well So and swimming. So um, it was amazing to see that and how it evolved over time. So without him, the Paralympics wouldn't even exist. And it just so takes one person. it just takes one person to make that change. And he did it. I mean, he was so ahead of his time. Um, so it's a wonderful um, film. Uh, we're so happy that Netflix picked it up and believed in the film. Um, and yeah, it's a, you, you cry, you yeah. laugh. Well, if you haven't seen it, you have to check it out for sure. Yeah, it's, it's still on there. Um, it was trending for a while, but in it won, um, two sports Emmys. So it's a good film. <laughs> Definitely. Well, there are so many things I want to ask you, but in the essence of time, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of your, your mindset when it comes into racing and this kind of competitiveness within you and more on like, just if you have any advice for other people, like when they're trying to set goals and think about, you know, we have so many people that are running marathons tomorrow, the next day, throughout the fall. What's kind of advice that you give to them when approaching kind of this, you know, you want a podium. That's a big goal. Mm -hmm. How does that processing look for you as such an experienced athlete? Um, well, I think one is enjoy it um, and to really have fun that you've done the training that you've done. And, you know, Sunday we're back and I think it's going to be an emotional experience for a lot of people. You know, last year was really hard and 
Finally, it's been 780 days since the last Chicago Marathon. And so I think what I tell people is just be in the moment. When you're running mile one, you are running mile one. Stay focused on that. When you reach mile you know, 19, you are running mile 19. Just remember, mile 20 after that, you do have a hill. So pace yourself. Um, and it's it'll get you in the end. So really, really focus on that last bit. Don't go so hard out in the beginning um, because there is a big um, sneaky climb at the end, but the weather is going to be awesome. The weather will be uh, really wonderful on Sunday. And, you know, I think for me, it's just making those small goals along the way because anything can happen in a race. Um, So for me, if I, you know, flat a tire, I will focus on on changing that tire and getting back onto that course. Does that happen often? It does. Oh no. So I'm praying for, for none of that, but I think just really enjoying the moment and, um, you know, I think not, you know, comparing yourself to anyone else or, you know, just, um, just having fun, um, and really fueling up now, taking your preparations now, um, starting to, you know, get into bed a little bit earlier so your body can relax, really focus on hydration because it's going to be really warm on Sunday. Um, hydration will be key this week and then proper fueling. And as you flip, what's the window look like for getting to Boston? <laughs> That's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one. Um, so when I cross that line um, in Chicago, I will have to race back um, to that hotel room. Luckily, my parents will be there. We will take apart my racing chair, put it in its box. Um, my mom is actually going to Take my equipment, try to get on that earlier flight with my okay. thing so my, my stuff can make it to Boston. And then I will be on that 2 o'clock flight um, getting into Boston around 530 Um and then when I arrive, I will have a meal right there ready. I will eat and I will unbox my chair, make sure nothing's damaged, um, and then try you to... You guys in the pole vaulters have... We're crazy. Yeah, it's, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I haven't done anything like this, so I will be documenting along the way. Yeah, follow along. <laughs> yeah, how no. I'm doing. Really good Instagram follows. <laughs> you share so much. Is that something that you love to do, sharing the journey with others? I think it's important to, um, coming from, you know, uh, my perspective and how I train and how I get ready and talking about, you know, what the, what wheelchair racing is and talking about my equipment and kind of how I pack up and, um, it's important too. Yeah. And I think that would, excuse me, the last question I wanted to ask you was, I know you mentioned your mom Mm -hmm. and she's such an integral, integral part of your story. Uh, what was it like being in Tokyo without her knowing that she's truly been there since the very beginning? I mean, you, you mentioned in a couple of days, she's going to be lugging your stuff to another state. <laughs> I know. So what was that like? And um, how did you guys stay connected when you were in Tokyo? It was hard. Um, that was my first games without my mom. So that was my Tokyo was my sixth Paralympics, my fifth summer. And so I've had my parents at all these games. So it was hard, you know, especially the races that didn't go so well. It was really tough. That's why the volunteers were so wonderful because they were there at the 
as you got off the stadium, they we were underneath the stadium packing up our stuff, and they were so wonderful because, you know, you have moments where you're, like, super happy, and then you have other moments where you're just, like, emotional and teary. Um, but we stayed connected through, you know, FaceTime and on WhatsApp and um, always calling or texting. Um, but that was, that was a real challenge because you couldn't, you know, give a physical hug or you couldn't, you know, communicate, you know, that way face-to-face um, besides just virtually. Um, but I knew they were there. Mm-hmm. I knew they were up and watching at crazy hours at wow. 1 a.m., at 3 a.m., at 5 a.m. So um, they were definitely there just really watching and supporting. But it was it was different for sure. Were they on the European segment of the tour as well? They weren't. No, um, they were not. Um, but they're on the American This is a homecoming. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be here. Um, so that will be exciting to finish up the last three with my family. The last question I want to ask you is, is there something that people don't know about you? Ooh. Um, something that people don't know about me. I hate bugs. <laughs> like, even though I, I'm so, I put That's on this, like, one. put even though I have this, like, maybe brave face or, like, I'm really tough, I am not. Like, if I see a spider across that room, I will be, like, on the <laughs> other side of that room asking one of you probably to get it. Uh, yeah, I'm, like, not a bug person. <laughs> so it would be, yeah. So not Halloween's a, not your favorite season with all the, the fake spiders everywhere? Well, I love Halloween. Okay. I, like, love, love Halloween. I mean, What's I your just costume going to be? Love, like, I don't know yet. Okay, I don't we'll brainstorm. Yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely brainstorm. But I love, like, eating candy. And <laughs> I have to be careful because I'm running the New York Marathon. You got a couple of days. Yeah, I got a couple of days. At that point, that's just a celebration. Yeah, Hocus Pocus is my jam. And so you know I, they're coming out with a second one. I know, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I, I love Halloween. Um, fake spiders are okay, but as long as if those legs don't move, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tatiana, thank you so much for coming. Coming on more Thank than you. running. This is such a pleasure. I've wanted to talk to you for a very long time. You've been an inspiration, and I hope to help you continue spreading your advocacy Thank you. and watching you in the Paralympic Games to come, especially in LA. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.